Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast. My name is Sam Saddam, your host for this podcast, where we will be highlighting some of the authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders in the world of self-publishing. Joining me today will be Michelle Rubini, musician, composer, musical director, and now with the debut of his book, Life in the Key of Rubini, published author. He'll talk to us about his high-flying memoir, his experience working with Book Baby, and what's next from him. Rubini worked as a studio musician with the renowned Wrecking Crew, collaborating with musicians for hundreds of top 40 hits. He worked with the Jackson 5, the Beach Boys, Ike and Tina Turner, Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles, Elvis Presley, and Marvin Gaye. He performed for Jackie Kennedy. He worked as Sonny and Cher's musical director. He dated movie stars from Raquel Welch to Linda Carter. He scored numerous TV shows and movies. He even has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Suffice to say, Michelle is an entertainment industry pro. But what Michelle Rubini didn't know was how to publish a book. So he turned to Book Baby for help. This week, Michelle was gracious enough to join us via Skype from his home in California for our interview. How did you get started in the music industry? Uh, well, my father was a classical, uh, world-known classical violinist. And uh, so I was born into a musical family. And uh, I heard my father practicing, you know, ever since the day I was born. And uh, by the time I was four years old, I started playing the piano. And uh, they, they got me started with lessons right away. And... Um, and I just continued on from there uh, to try to make a long story short. By the time I was 14, I had become his regular accompanist uh, when he was doing concerts in and around Los Angeles. And by the time I was 16, I was accompanying him on concert tours, uh, you know, all over the United States uh, to make it, to continue to make it short. By the time <laughs> I was 18. I decided I didn't want to be a classical pianist anymore, <laughs> so so I so I I, I had um, navigated uh, uh, towards uh, towards rock and roll, and I joined my first rock and roll. Well, not my first rock and roll band, but I, I well I joined my first rock and roll band when I was about eighteen, and uh, when I was nineteen or twenty. Uh, I was asked to join a, a recording band, a band that had already had a couple of hit records called the Marquettes. And uh, they had hits back in the early 60s, like the Balboa Blue and Surfer Stomp. Uh, later on, uh, we went on to do Batman's theme. Da -da 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 Batman! <laughs> uh, that was the Marquettes. And uh, that's how I, that's, that's sort of how I got started into the um, in, into the record business, you know, and uh, as I started uh, uh, getting to know some of the other musicians and some of the arrangers and producers uh, in the uh, in the in the studio recording business, they started asking me to be you know, to play on their uh, sessions, and that's when I became a session musician, and uh, fortunately for me, became one of the most called pianists uh, uh, in Los Angeles. So during the 60s uh, and into the 70s, I was uh, part of a very elite group of uh, musicians that were later to be named the Wrecking Crew. 
and uh, and so and, and so I, I'm a member of that group, and and uh, we even have a the wrecking crew uh, has a star on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, actually, it's on Sunset Boulevard, just in front of Guitar Center. <laughs> There's our star there, and uh, you know my name is right there on that star. So that's how I got started. So, Michelle, talk to us about how your book project came to be. The book took me four years to write. I, uh, I never thought in a million years that, that it would take four years to write. I thought it was going to be a six-month project. Mm-hmm. I, I never even thought to write a book. Uh, the way this whole thing happened was that uh, an author uh, by the name of Kent Hartman wrote a book about the Wrecking Crew, which okay. I referred to earlier, uh, which became an Amazon bestseller, and uh, so pick it up at Amazon, ten ninety five. And just be uh, advertising your book, not other people's books. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> anyway, so when Kent was writing that book in 2014, he was interviewing the guys in the Wrecking Crew, so he could so he could have a you know complete picture. Uh, of, of the whole of the whole time period and, and have everybody's uh, stories in the book that, that was in the crew. And so he stood and I he started interviewing me and our interviews became really extensive, a much uh, deeper and much longer uh, than he ever intended or I ever intended. Uh, I mean, it went into hundreds of hours and and so by the time we got through uh, with my story, uh, uh, he said to me, you know, Michelle, he said, you've got so many wonderful stories. He said, your life has been extraordinary. He said, you have got to write, you've got to write your own book. And I, and I said, oh, come on, give me a break. I, I, I can't write. I'm not a writer. I'm a pianist. And he said, you don't have to be a writer. He said, everybody's a writer. All you have to do is put pen to paper. And he said, he said, so don't worry about it. He said, if you write, he said, I'll guide you. I'll watch you. And uh, he said, you send me, you know, everything. And, and uh, he said, I'll, I'll make sure that you don't go wrong. And uh, so with his, um, his saying that to me, uh, to be my mentor, so to speak, and like I said, by the, by this time, by the time that happened, his book was already a million seller, and uh, so here I have this million selling author uh, volunteering to help me, you know, write a good book. Um, it made me go forward. So I started writing, and and I you know I started off. He said to do it just chronologically, start off from when you were born and go forward, and I did. And by the time I got through with this thing, uh, uh, four years had passed and, uh, uh, be- because it was so extensive. And I had written uh, over 600 pages. And, and he told me, you know, Michelle, he said, you're going to have to cut half of this book out. He said, he said, these autobiographies don't, you know, usually people get tired of them after about 300, 350 pages max, he said. So... He said, you're going to have to do some heavy chopping wood. You know, you're going to have to chop a lot of logs in half here. <laughs> so, so finally, uh, I got it down to 300, 
or so, 320 pages or something. And, uh, uh, and, and that's why I wrote the book, and, and that's how it got finished. You mentioned in your book you played for Jackie Kennedy. What was that like? Yeah, uh, that was, that might have been my most financially rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, that was a totally unique experience playing for uh, Jackie Kennedy. You know, of course, John Kennedy. You know, being an icon of of, of my time, much less all time, and and of course, uh, you know, I was I was appalled and shocked and saddened at his at his death, just like the rest of America was. And, uh, and Jackie Kennedy, Jackie, his wife, um, went into mourning for a couple of years. I mean, she wouldn't come out of her house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and finally, a good friend of hers uh, decided that she had been mourning long enough and wanted her to join the land of the living. So, so she uh, asked Jackie if she would come, if, come to dinner at her, at her um, apartment in the Waldorf Astoria, in the Astoria Towers. And, uh, uh, and Jackie said, well, she said, I'll, I'll come on one condition. And her, her friend said, lady friend said, well, what's the condition? She said, I want Sonny and Cher to, to sing for me. <laughs> so, so of all the strange things, and she was a big fan of Sonny and Cher. <clears throat> so uh, uh, the manager, Sonny and Cher's managers, got a phone call one day. I was actually in their office uh, the day it happened from uh, from this this lady who said that uh, Jackie Kennedy wanted to have Sonny and Cher perform for her and that she would pay any amount of money if she, if they would just fly to New York and do this one night stand uh, in, in, in this lady's apartment. And, uh, uh, and so uh, Sonny said, well, we won't charge anything. Of, of course, it's Jackie Kennedy. We'd be honored to, to play for her and we'll be happy to, you know, to fly back and do it. So during one of our Sonny and Cher recording sessions, at the end, Sonny came out and asked uh, a group of us, five of us, uh, me being one of them, uh, if uh, we would be interested in flying to New York to perform for Jackie Kennedy um, for one night. And uh, he said uh, he said all expenses would be paid, but we weren't going to be paid anything. So <laughs> it didn't make any difference. Everybody said, of course, yeah, we'd love to go. So... so you know, a week later, two weeks later, we all hopped on a jet plane and flew to New York and and uh, and and went to the uh, to the Waldorf Astoria uh, and took the elevator up to the very very top where they have the Waldorf Towers and uh, uh, and this lady had had a, a, an apartment there um, uh, and, and that was. This was like the elite of the elite. I think this this lady, uh, this particular lady, her her husband and she owned diamond mines in Africa or something like that. I mean, money meant absolutely nothing to her. Right. And you know, and a uh, uh, very very old lady. She she was in her eighties. Um, and and uh, so we so we performed in the living room of of, of this lady's. Uh, uh, 
apartment for for Jackie Kennedy, and uh, and most notably, uh, uh, well, there, it was a u- totally unique night. But the thing that that was uh, just so sweet and showed what a what a real lady Jackie Jackie Kennedy was. Um, her escort for the night was a, this elderly gentleman, you know, in his eighties and with a lot of arthritis and bent over. And she was actually holding him up, you know, as as uh, her escort, rather than the other way around. And the living room was very small, and there there was about ten people that had been invited to the dinner. Eight or ten people—that's all we played for, and. And there wasn't enough seating in the living room for everybody to sit down. Um, so so uh, uh, Jackie <coughs> so, so, so Jackie escorted the gentleman over. Everybody sat down um, first, and then Jackie went over to the last chair uh, and, and took the gentleman to that chair and helped him sit down in that chair. And then she sat on the floor in front of the chair and for, for the whole performance. So here you have Jackie Kennedy, the most beloved woman of, of the 20th century, um, being so humble and so sweet uh, that, that she, just, she would rather sit on the floor in deference to an old man rather than her, rather than and take the position and, and you know, sit down herself in the chair and put the old man on the floor. So I, I, I never forgot that about her. And that's, how, that's how humble and sweet she was. I really enjoyed your story about your romance with Wonder Woman, Linda Carter. How'd the two of you meet? Well, when I was uh, conducting for Sonny and Cher, uh, we were uh, doing a, a, a stint, a one-month uh, uh, stint at the uh, Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, Linda, who had been crowned Miss World USA uh, at that time, was touring around the country, um, you know, doing ceremonies like cutting the ribbon at golf courses and doing all the things that uh, Miss World USA does. And, uh, and she happened to be in Las Vegas uh, actually to do exactly what I just said, to cut the ribbon at Del Webb's new golf course and, and new hotel that he was opening up there. Uh, and she came to see Sonny and Cher uh, one night while she was there. And after the performance, uh, she wanted to come backstage and meet Sonny and Cher. And uh, so, they, of course, they, they brought her backstage. And, uh, and so she was talking with Sonny and Cher in their dressing room when I walked in, as a matter of uh, as a matter of uh, um, habit, I would always walk. I would always go to Sonny and Cher's dressing room after the first show. We did two shows a night, and uh, and after the first show, I would always walk in and ask Sonny uh, if there's uh, if there was anything he wanted to change or if everything was okay. You know, maybe he wanted to change the order of the songs. Um, just anything. I just wanted to check with him to make sure that everything was perfect for them on stage. And, uh, and, and so that's why I did that. So I, I walked in while they were talking to Linda Carter and, and Sonny, uh, uh, introduced, uh, Linda to me and introduced me to Linda. And, uh, when I, uh, shook her hand, sparks 
flew. <laughs> and um, I looked into her eyes and I was those beautiful blue eyes and I, I just sunk like a ship with a hole in the bow. I, just, I went down. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so we talked for a while, a little while, and then um, uh, Sonny and Cher had to start getting ready for the next show. Um, and so uh, uh, Linda and I left, and she asked me if I would escort her back to her room because uh, she, she wanted to you know, go to her room. She wanted to turn in for the night. And so uh, I did. I, I walked her back to her room, and, uh, and we, I gave her a little peck on the cheek, um, holding her hands. And then we didn't let go of our hands. <laughs> and it became one of those movie moments <laughs> in front of her hotel room door. And, uh, and so we said we'd, we'd see each other later. <laughs> and that was the start of our romance. Wow. Lucky man there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, extremely lucky. Extremely <laughs> lucky. Can you tell us about your editing process? The book went through so many proofreads, it was, it, it was amazing. I had it read by, uh, by two or three other people, and they found, they found things. And, and, I, and then I went back, and I read it again, and I found things. It's like proofreading is, is, uh, is, real, is a really tough, tough job because it's just it's so easy to miss something, you know, and uh, inevitably there were, there were things that got that that were missed uh, but anyway once we got through the proofreading process and uh, once we the, once we got the photo section straightened out uh, there's a 30 page photo section in my book which you know uh, isn't usually in most books uh, uh, so so formatting the, the the photos so that they would show up correctly uh, in the book uh, I mean, and, and to their, to the largest they could be, and and uh, and look the right way. That that was also a chore. <clears throat> that was a lot of back and forth on on that on the photo section. Um, so that was that that actually the formatting of the photo section um, delayed the book, delayed the whole thing, the process by at least three months, maybe closer to six months. Uh, four months before we finally got the photo section straightened out, but it got straightened out, and uh, uh, and then we and, and then we went forward. And before I knew it, I had a, a book in my hands. There it was, my very own book, you know. And it was exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. What part of the publishing process did you spend the most time on? The cover photo, and and the, and the title to the book. Uh, these were two things that that just totally escaped me. I just didn't know. I hadn't never thought about what the title of the book was going to be. I was just writing, you know, and we, we decide on the title later. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I wouldn't recommend that to other people. I, I think that maybe people should think about the title to their book first <laughs> <laughs> so they know what they're writing about. <laughs> and... Um, uh, uh, and and the, and the photo, uh, I mean, the, the cover, uh, whether it was going to be a photo or a graphic or, you know, whatever, that, that, 
that also it just took a long time and uh, uh, to decide on something. Uh, but finally, we we found a photo. Um, I found a photo that I didn't even know had been know that had been taken of me back in the '60s, <laughs> uh, uh, while driving in my my car down the, my my Mercedes convertible, happy go lucky, happy go lucky, you know, driving down the road, and uh, someone who was sitting in the passenger seat took a photo of me. Well, I, at that time, I had a full beard and and really long hair, which was like blowing in the wind. <laughs> and and uh, and everybody that I had looking at the book and choosing photos, everybody said, "That's the photo you have to use because that's you. That is so you, Rubini. That's it. Just it it shows everything in in one photo. That he said you got to put that on the cover." And so uh, uh, that's how that, that photo got there. And, uh, and, and, and the title, oh my God, the title. Uh, I went through 50 titles for the book. Um, and uh, uh, Suzanne DePass, the, uh, uh, the, vice, the vice president of Motown Records, uh, she discovered the Jackson 5 mm -hmm. and signed them uh, uh, to the label. And, and so that, that's the short story on Suzanne DePass. And Suzanne uh, was the one that signed me to Motown in 1974, I think it was. And, and she's been a very, very close friend of mine ever, ever since. And uh, she was the one <clears throat> that came up with the title for the book. Um, and uh, uh, so I can, thank, I can thank Suzanne for, <laughs> for that. <laughs> Life in the Key of Rubini. You can pick up a copy, store.bookbaby.com. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. If you're interested in being like Michelle and choice of publishing, unfortunately we can't promise you Linda Carter, check out bookbaby.com or give us a call at 877-961-6878. Please also be sure to rate and follow our podcast with Spotify, Apple, and whatever other fine podcast app you use. Thanks to Jim Foley, BookBaby's Director of Operations. Brian Lipsky, our producer, and Michelle Rubini for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Sam Saddam. This has been Book Baby Spotlight. Goodbye.